0: This is either failure or it's gonna be a, a train wreck. And that's that's when, you know, you can get to higher ground. You can, you can do something to figure this out. Yeah, yeah, you don't get ahead of it. You just do damage control. Right. <laughs> I can weather this. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, you're gonna to try to stop this?
1: There's no stopping this. I like that. What are you doing? I'm just, I'm weathering.
0: <laughs> yes, mitigating disaster. <laughs> I saw it on Linden Street. Welcome to I Saw It on Linden Street, the show dedicated to the joy of finding and appreciation in cult films, exploitation oddities, beloved classics, and all points in between. I am your host, Chris Roberts, inviting you to join us here at the Linden Street Cinema Experience Theater, as we once again dig up a fun, cinematic relic from the past. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for joining us. Now, this isn't your standard film review. Rather, it's a synopsis of a film that we feel deserves to have another inspection, with some background on the actors, information on the director, and hey, perhaps if I'm doing my job, you'll get a half-amusing story out of me. Now, fair be warned, while we don't cover all aspects of the plot, we do discuss endings and spoilers. So, if you'd like to be surprised, please give the film a viewing before you listen to us. If you like us, and hey, I would hope that you do, please recommend this podcast to a friend, subscribe, give us a favorable review. We are winding down 2020 with a bit of a laid-back continuation of a theme this month that's some cinematic potpourri. A heady melange of conversations, cult films, and, hey, we're going to wrap the month up with some year-end listener mail. This week, we are again featuring a conversation with the one, the only, Dr. Chance T. Worm, as he shares his thoughts for a Second Chance session, revisiting 1982's Silent Rage. Join us! If you recall, we first talked about this film back in August. That was episode 75, where we recounted the strange genre mashup of science fiction, horror, martial arts, action, and comedy. Silent Rage is... On its own, just an interesting film all to take in. And like so many films, I forced your favorite mad scientist and preeminent biologist, Dr. Chance T. Worm, to sit down and watch it for himself. And, you know, of course, to get his take on things, and I think this discussion accurately reflects that. Now, I have to tell you uh, straight up the audio quality on this. Recording is a bit dodgy throughout Uh, the problem is one I have since fixed, but I do apologize Uh, I was using a mic I don't normally use and combining that with having issues maintaining my fuzzy connection to zoom you get a real sort of I don't know tinny or buzzy sound out of this It's not the end of the world, but it is not up to the audio standards that I would like to try to have for the rest of you So you have my apologies That being said, though, this is a fun conversation, and I do think you're going to enjoy it. So sit back, relax, learn something, maybe, and hear two aging nerds give their opinions on a really unique piece of weird cinema. Welcome again, everybody. I am sitting here with the great Dr. Chance, who's shaking his head vigorously as if trying to get me to stop... You know, heaping praise upon him, as you all know, Doctor Chance is a renowned scientist and likes to deal with <laughs> that good, huh? You don't like being a renowned scientist. If I can't, if I can't heap praise upon you and blow smoke up your ass, what fun is this? <laughs> I guess we put it that way. Keep going. Okay. Okay so everybody i'm here with dr chance uh as you know aka dr worm he has filled in for us before and we've had this lovely opportunity to have him back for another second chance session and uh, today he's going to be joining us in talking about a movie that i of course forced him to watch i did the levico treatment on him and pinned him down and held his eyes open and he had to sit and watch silent rage with chuck norris so, uh, chance first and foremost. Just initial thoughts. Did you like Silent Rage? I, I loved Silent Rage.
1: I'm not gonna lie; it was fantastic. It was very confusing. It, uh, like not plot wise, just it had like five different tones of movie going on like that synchronized different points throughout um yeah it was a beautiful mess it was really fun
0: it it absolutely is that's one of the things that kind of makes it so unique is it's a different genre every like five to ten minutes yes and it wanted to be all things to all people right when it was made because it, it initially wanted to be a horror movie it wanted to cash in on that slasher motif that was going on in the early 80s and everybody was like we have slashers we've done this before but this was the opportunity to say ah but this one has chuck norris yeah and this is chuck norris coming in hot off of being an independent action film star this is actually the first big studio backed feature that chuck norris had done this was actually produced by this was a big studio movie for the time this was a big studio movie so this is like before he was doing um, Good Guys Wear Black and A Force of One and The Octagon and all of those were little like rinky dink small time operations and he just made a mint off of it because he was popular and he caught on at the right place at the right time. This is Chuck Norris getting major studio backing because they know this guy's popular you know, with his martial arts moves and we know that slasher movies are popular why not make this guy in a slasher movie fighting a killer so to them this was like a no-brainer columbia signs on and say we will give you a full budget and suddenly chuck norris is finding himself even though he doesn't like the script c changes genre every five minutes and is not really his bag he signs on because they're going to make the movie for like i think it was 10.5 million dollars which Chuck Norris up to this point has been making movies for like $750,000 or barely a million dollars. Like he's barely eking it out. No, he's making money on the back end, but this is a big budget studio movie. And Chuck Norris is going to be screened in you know multiplexes across the nation if he does this versus a circuit where like everybody in New York has seen Chuck Norris on 42nd Street, but nobody saw him in LA. That sort of logic. Where, where was the money? Where did it go? For this film, phil- oh, so so I guess uh, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Chance is pointing out perhaps the movie looks a little chintzy. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, we'll put it that way. It, it was made when, like, I don't know when this was made but if I had to guess, it was not as early as I felt it was. <laughs>
0: this movie was made in 1982 oh okay all right not so bad
1: not so bad actually then I felt yeah. it, like it was like 89 or something
0: oh no 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 no. so this is 1982 this is again you're, you're at the peak he hasn't quite gotten okay so this is right before he signs his contract with Canon. this is right before Cannon gets the two chucks right Because Cannon signs him on and he becomes one of the two Chucks. There's Chuck Norris and then there's Charles Bronson. And if Charles Bronson turned this script down, it got thrown into the Chuck Norris pile. Likewise, if Chuck Norris turns this script down, it gets thrown in the Charles Bronson pile. So this is before he's put under contract and before he just starts cranking out movies. This is before he does like Delta Force and all those missing in action movies, you know, Braddock, Invasion USA, where he's just driving around on the motorcycle, machine gunning people. Like, yeah. uh, I mean, it's fun. It's, it's, and I'm not making fun of those movies. They're all, they have a place and a time, and that's great. But, like, it wasn't exactly quality work, but I'm not going to argue this was quality work either. <laughs> I mean, this is, again, we've said it. It's a slasher movie that has a Frankenstein motif. Yeah. The and the director,
1: I, well, like, what I was going to say is, like, I was like, I feel like this was made in 89, but it looks like it was from 79 is what it looked like to me but if it was made in 82 that's not so bad but like it it looked older (laughs) looked way older but um like when i the first scene honestly like i was kind of excited like oh i think this might actually be kind of good because like i was into this i'm like i only know of trip norris as you know throwing punches and kicks or being Walker, Texas Ranger. Right. And like, so I was like, oh, this looks like a cop mystery. Like, I'm sure it's gonna be kind of weird and quirky, but like that first scene where you open up and there's a guy obviously like under duress, having like a mental breakdown and it's slowly evolving. I'm like, this is kind of like a psychological thriller. Like I thought the mismatch was gonna be like Chuck Norris couldn't handle that plot and it was weird. Not, (laughs) it turns from that where you see a man have a mental breakdown and murder a family and be caught inside of a house to whatever it turns into, like a sci-fi body snatcher, demon possession, Frankenstein mashup.
0: Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, and that's and that's kind of the problem. I love the fact that the first the first 15 minutes of the film it feels like you're watching some kind of like italian giallo slasher like it's the shadows the angles are cool the violence is pretty intense i yeah. mean especially for hates, 1940 or whenever this movie was made. <laughs> hey i was born in 82 don't do that to me I, when he picks up that axe and he brings it into the house especially when he walks past the kids like did you have a ink moment like where you're like what's he gonna do yeah no like Like, i was
1: invested like the first 15 minutes i was honestly invested and i was like this is weird it looks like old but like it is old so it's like cool like an old slasher
0: horror movie yeah no fits right into the pocket with the rest of them it's just the that's why it feels so strange it's like you're watching it okay you have john kirby is prayed by Brian Libby. He's having his breakdown. He's calling for help and then he just snaps. He goes out into the yard. He goes out to the chicken coop because I believe they're... I I believe it's set in Texas, if if it's... if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, during Um, the Dust Bowl. Yes, of course. Again, 1982, the great Dust Bowl. (laughs) Yes, and I was a hobo riding the rails (laughs) and putting off beans. I know. I know, Chance. But he goes out he picks up the axe he goes past the kids he brings it back in and the first thing he does is just advances on the (laughs) landlady to shut her up from her screaming and you're stuck in like clearly when when the you're not sure if it's another boarding house member or if it's like her husband but when he just lays into the guy with that axe, like the whole mood of the film changes. Mm-hmm. And it's intense. It and actually then chuck shows up. And the chuck yeah. shows up. And it's 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 a fight, but it's not what you're expecting the fight to be. Right. Like, you know. At the first 15 minutes, I was on board for the movie playing in my head, which
1: was <laughs> this dude has a breakdown, he murders these people, he escapes into the night, or he escapes. Chuck Norris has to track him down. There's an awkward act like my expectation for why it was a quote unquote bad movie was like there's bad acting there's stuff that doesn't work and Chuck Norris somehow you know you have like a beat cop on the heels of. You know, a murderer who also does like flips and kicks and I'm like that doesn't really fit and then what it ends up happening is. Chuck Norris just brushes in to a house that is a crime scene and just beats the shit out of the guy. And I, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I believe kicks him out a window. Yes. And then shoots him a bunch.
0: Yes. And he's still not dead.
1: Yeah, no, movie's over.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, just, And that's it. It's a 15-minute <laughs> movie. Fades and to from black. from that point on, I'm like, where is this going? Yeah. And that is the end of our at least logical portion of that film, where it's like, and that was your slasher. Yeah, so you got director Michael Miller is really ambitious, and it's him that decides that he's going to add this Frankenstein element. So all of a sudden we go from this slasher to dude is shot up, taken back to the quote, institute, which I love the concept that it is an institute it's not a hospital it's not a college it's just the local town institute yeah. as if that's a wonderful catch-all for everything
1: yeah no scientists are scientists for everything exactly uh, And when that's the case they work at the institute and each state has several the institutes and they're just full of science tests and those <laughs> scientists just go around sciencing
0: and it doesn't really matter what kind and and on that note, I love the fact you have you have really great character actors. You're asking where the money went. I would argue it was to pay for all of this character acting because you're right. It wasn't on the special effects. It wasn't on. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe it went to the denim budget for the amount of jeans and or, you know, a combination of denim and then flannel, because everyone is either wearing a jean shirt with blue jeans or they're wearing flannel with blue you know blue jeans and whatnot. So, we're nothing we're nothing or not nothing. Or nothing. Or no, yeah we'll, we'll get to the or nothing you got you got ron silver you got stephen keats and you got william finley as your three Molary and curly scientists who what i love is this guy's brought in on the meat wagon he's loaded with bullets he's having a mental breakdown he just tried he tried to and successfully ax murdered two of like five people that he attacked did he get one of the kids He didn't get one of the kids, but he killed the, he killed the woman who ran the boarding house and he killed, it's unsure if that was her husband or if that was just another guy renting a room. Yeah. And when he went for the kids, that's when Chuck bursts in and stops, puts a stop to everything, right? So this is your case. Let's give the psychopath super regenerative powers because we'd like to try out our new healing serum that's gonna win us the Nobel Peace Prize. Surely there couldn't be any other person who they could use this on, especially if the logic is to help treat minor wounds. Yeah. Wouldn't it make yeah, sense? the, the
1: initial sure. rationalization is like, it'll help if like, you know, you have arthritis and need your joints to be healed. Right.
0: So they, they turn him into the indestructible man like just by proxy and that's where you get another one of my favorite tropes in movies at least especially this time late 70s early 80s especially they used all that cool like you're supposed to think it's high-tech equipment so it looks like a spectrometer and then they'll always show crystals forming I don't know why because I've never ever seen any computer screen that the crystals forming means science is happening (laughs) like you know that stuff happens all the time and normally, like, it doesn't
1: bother me most of the time because it's just like, you know, movie, right? All science are science tests. They yes. just do everything. Yes. You know, you go to the one guy in a coat and he programs, makes lasers, makes bombs. Right. He knows material, like, he knows everything. Um, and this one was particularly bad because... It was the first time they literally just panned down on a screen and they're like, his DNA. And it was a video of like the experiment you do with your 10 year old kid of a rock forming in like salt water. Right. When a video of that sped up. And it was just like, I'm not sure what I'm watching, but I sure as hell know it's not anything to do with. Human DNA. That they just gave superpowers.
0: Yeah. But I mean, but then, then oh, that being said, okay, so we've gone from slasher to science fiction, and now in the next five minutes, Chuck Norris has to be shirtless. He has to be having his, his superficial wounds tended to, which is nothing. And he's hardcore hitting on the secretary of one of the doctors who happens to be the doctor's sister who chuck has dated already so he he's dating um oh gosh what's her name in the film allison hellman as played by uh tony kalem and like the only other tony Kalem movie i can think of is she's in private benjamin with uh, goldie hawn she's like one of the tough ladies in the barracks who's giving goldie hawn a, a hard time when she first joins the army so like It's weird because it's like the only two roles I know her in are in this one where she's like kind of a, not ditz, but clearly she has zero willpower. Also, this is probably the rapiest I think I've ever seen Chuck Norris be, which we can get to later. But the whole like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and let you talk to me. And he's literally like massaging her shoulders the entire time. I think they're
1: sitting in a car or a truck or something, and he's like, she drove him home or something. He just sticks his finger in her ear. You know, (laughs) straight in the ear hole. Yeah. And he's
0: helping to like hit on her. Well, I mean, great apes groom each other (laughs) for, you know, familial bonds and whatnot. I, I
1: feel like the director was just like, Chuck, do what you do. To impress a woman and he's like i got it and he just went <laughs> for the ear which really says more about chuck norris
0: let's unpack this because this is part of the movie that me thinks the gentleman protests too much so one of the reasons chuck norris did not want to do this movie is because of the love scenes he had with tony kalem because chuck norris quote does not do love scenes And he felt awkward and he did not like the concept. He did not want to be like, kiss a lady on screen, but he really didn't want to like get into like the nuts and bolts of like, wait, 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 wait. I got to pretend I'm with this person. Oh yeah, Chuck doesn't do that. And the fact that like the director thinking that, oh, he's dealing with two actors was like, you guys figure it out and we'll just run the film. So like, go ahead, just get started. We'll roll and, you know, do what feels natural. So, You have Chuck Norris, who's super uncomfortable. He's never done this before. And you have Tony Kalem who's like trying to work with this guy who is like a stiff piece of wood. Like he's just going to sit there and be like, uh, yeah. The first thing he does is like... Finger in the ear. Pops (laughs) into his head is a wet willy. Yes. Because, you know, what's the most romantic thing Chuck Norris can think of? Well, if I can't break your jaw or like throw a kick at you, I guess a wet willy. So yes, so this entire film is like a series of weird, awkward lead-ups because there's multiple love scenes between Chuck Norris and Allison. And I'm sorry, I'm calling him Chuck Norris. He's Sheriff Dan Stevens. But as far as this conversation, he's Chuck Norris. Everyone else can be their character name because that's all he is, right? I didn't even know they had character names. (laughs) Right, you're just like, guy who's gonna die soon brother of guy who's going to die soon (laughs) guy who dies but you got chuck norris and you know he, he he does the first scene they get through it great to me the scene that just sells the movie for me on just pure ridiculousness is the long weekend scene that they have where it's the montage of them making out and they keep traveling through various rooms of chuck norris's house he has that full plate of fruit and crackers and cheese and wine that is never touched, but for some reason it follows them every every shot.
2: I remember so it's it like that. it's like
0: them making out in a hammock and like the cheese and wine is just there off to the side. Then they go to bed. The cheese and wine is there on the bed. Then they go to the couch. The cheese and wine is there.
1: I like to imagine that was a nervous tick of Trek Norris's. Where he's just like, no, we if I'm going to do this, we have to have perfect continuity, which means this cheese plate follows us, damn it. I want the charcuterie tray to watch. Because <laughs> when I'm not sticking my finger down someone's ear socket, I'm carrying my food with me.
0: This is a very specific kink that Chuck does not want to talk about, <laughs> but he needs it yeah yeah it's just it's one of those things it's it's it doesn't fit for anything it's actually again another genre twist it becomes this bad tawdry if we were doing a spoof of a soap opera and i said like what would be a bad soap opera love scene that like you walk into just like you know you're scanning channels and you're just like oh this is ridiculous and fake and tawdry this is meant for somebody at like you know 2 p.m. on a weekday for, like, you know, your your grandmother would watch this at some point, like, because that's her stories. I, I would be like, all right, it's not good, but, yeah, this is what you'd expect from this caliber. And it's awful. <laughs> and therefore, it's one of the funniest damn things I could say about the movie. Because it doesn't fit at all. In a movie that is genres that don't go together, like, bad, misshapen puzzle pieces to begin with, you know, this one just is a totally different picture altogether,
2: yeah.
1: Also, just I feel like it was it's a small world in that little community where the sheriff who's investigating the murder is sleeping with the sister of the man who's injecting the murderous gunshot victim of the sheriff. Is uh, the bro the brother, yes, and his friend mm-hmm. are the ones who reincarnated the serial killer which by the way the whole idea of winning the nobel prize like first they talk about it kind of like it's american idol like you apply
2: Mm -hmm.
1: go out you get your work out there and then by the end of the year you'll get the nobel prize which you know besides that how the hell are they going to report any of their findings oh yeah no other than like oh we this guy killed a woman for being too uh, shrieky with an axe and uh-huh. he was in the window and shot with a magnum uh, like five times and you know good news is our drug works resurrected him bad news is it makes him an immortal insane person mm-hmm. uh, if you guys want any more information just come to the well that he was kicked
0: <laughs> at, and <laughs> we'll you let you head interview. on me <laughs> And also the fact that they falsified his death so that they could do all this so like how do you prove it worked yeah even, right he's dead he's a dead yeah, man you've, you've covered up his own death you claimed yeah. he's dead but he's not dead yeah sorry sorry for dropping that spoiler in there Chris. Yeah. i didn't mean to give away the ending which oh was, no no no, it's no he problem.
1: gets kicked down a
0: well yeah no it's a very ignoble end but it's not even an end it's not nope. even technically an end No, he's just like, all he has to do is wait for a heavy rain. Yeah, absolutely. He might be waiting a while, but still, anything's possible. No, I I love the fact that, again, it's just this total mishmash of genre and bad writing that feels, it wasn't, but it feels the way it was cobbled together. Now, part of this is editing, and part of it is just, I think, the level of competence of the screenwriter. That you know, okay, fine, this is going to be what it is, but it's operating. I oh, by the way, I I will say I lied, I said it was made for 10 million dollars. I gave you the wrong amount. The movie earned 10 million dollars, it was made for four million dollars. So when I say four million dollars, does that put for, for 1980 money? Does that at least put your mind a little bit more at ease that I, I still think I don't know where it went again. See denim budget, see hiring character oh. actors, but yes, you're here. You're, yeah, yeah, no, I'm I can sleep tonight. I, I figured I, I know, I know how you are, yeah. but <laughs> so, so knowing that it has this awkward, that means it's a success. Sorry, that, that means it's a success. Like it, it made burned. no, no, it made money back, but it wasn't a mega hit. Yeah. And that was the problem, like they were expecting, like when you look at what like, and again, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm saying like, when you look at like force of one, we made it for like, again, $700,000, it makes three or $4 million. Everybody got paid and everybody walked away with a chunk of money. They're expecting something along those lines. Like we'll make this for $4 million and we're gonna walk away with hopefully $20 million. You know, it's that kind of logic they all got their money back but it wasn't the the hit that they were hoping for yeah. and the fact that it wasn't a hit chuck norris used the fact that it wasn't a hit to chalk it up to my fans don't want to see me do love scenes hence why i'll never do another love scene not that he just felt awkward and weird and was just oh let's say not an actor so like, it's just, he's so bad at being another human being. So like, if he can't punch it, he doesn't know how to react to it. Hence, hence see wet Willie or see traveling cheese tray, but not actually acting of, you know, you could pretend to like, like somebody and have a conversation with them. You know, like, that's an interesting point.
1: Like you're, you're getting on, um, you're getting on Chuck Norris for like his, I'm gonna say method acting, um, but like Ron Silva, Silver? Yep. Yeah, uh, the, do- the doctor who was totally morally opposed to injecting a dead
0: man with the serum. And who is the bedev- technically lung- playing the sibling of Chuck Norris's love interest, yes. yes. Yes, yes, absolutely, can't forget that. But
1: also totally did a like 180 and was like, oh no, this is fine now that it works and we've created a monster. Like, just keep him in chains. Uh, His acting, when he went home to his wife-slash-girlfriend, after a hard day of being immoral and resurrecting the dead, Mm -hmm. he's like, I'll just order a pizza. Uh, And his wife's like, no, it's too expensive. I'll go pick up the pizza. Next scene, he's making, like, an eight-foot-long hoagie in the kitchen before the murderer busts through the door and, like, breaks him in half yep so like those choices and Ron, so like ron silver was the only one acting in this movie yeah but
0: yeah no and his but death's, that's not much weirder than the cheese train no it's not it's not at all but his death seemed like it's it's real acting it's a man who's like he's he's terrified he's not understanding what's going on and then by the time he figures out why he can't kill this guy right. it's way too late so, like, oh, man, that, that look of horror. Oil. No, it didn't. It was holding him down. So, I mean, he was eating that. You saw he, he's slicing that pepperoni, and he's putting it on the bread, and he's just jamming it in his face. And then, of course, killer bursts in through the window, and now he's trying to eat and fight at the same time. It was a horrible mess. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I No, the pizza scene is always fun, just because you're like, did someone, like, it's almost like, did did they change a line? in the moment and not realize how this looks to the rest of the film yeah she just you know it's like like he forgot that they were gonna get food right it's like she needs to get out of here i got it say you're gonna go pick up the pizza right not a problem action and then they do that except you're like okay well she's left to get food why are you making food she just said she's coming back with food so I, I
1: thought that same thing, too, where it's like this movie was
0: full of,
1: like, they needed to develop a situation. Sorry, that is Cookie eating her kip, because I'm okay. located in the dining room right now.
0: So so reset, they needed to set up a situation to get her out of the
1: house they constantly were setting up situations to like get people places and that was obvious as the relationships between everyone for the murderer it was just like well we'll, we'll make the love interest the sister of the man who is the murderer um but what they like oh, i forgot my original point Oh, the scene that I was like reminded of from this was uh, like actually the original Terminator Mm -hmm. where Sarah Connor's like um, roommate was home but Sarah Connor was gone and her lover was there and even within the same scene like there the guy was in bed, he gets blasted and murdered without her knowing because she's wearing headphones and like this have to suspend disbelief and all that. But that was like so masterfully crafted. Like it I saw tension. this scene and my first thought was like, wow, this other thing was amazing <laughs> by comparison. And like you kind of start to see where like the whole thing hinged upon the construction of like <laughs> plausible reasons to get people in a different place. And this whole movie was just like, yeah, of course, the scientist that works at the Institute, his sister is a nurse at the Institute who has, of course, had intimate relationships with the ear spelunking sheriff who who just murdered the same guy that for some reason, knows where they live, for no reason, but some reason. Uh, also, he left and found where they lived before he found everyone else in the Institute to murder. Like the first one was he had to leave the Institute, murder them, and escape to go back to murder everyone at the Institute.
0: And he comes back to lay back down on his own gurney. Oh, Yeah. And, and right, right. Uh, what I love though is they're like, clearly they know he got up and left. They have a whole conversation about, it. I know he got up and murdered people, but he's sleeping now. Not that they couldn't, but what I love is they make zero effort. They don't tie him down. They don't lock him up. They just, they're just like, let him sleep. Well, I'll give him an injection later. And it's like, you've made zero effort to stop him. Like in the whole concept of, um, William Finley's character, like, giving him that that jab of supposedly um, I don't remember what type of acid he's going to use, like, hydrochloric acid, he's supposed to inject it directly <laughs> oh inside oh him. And, and, uh, and it doesn't do anything, and he's like, okay, well, that's done. And then later, <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> kill people. Though. It's like, oh. I mean, if that's your, if, if that was your bag, and you know he could regenerate, like, wouldn't you I don't know again I'm not trying to come up with better kills because that's not what this movie was but it's kind of like oh I don't know if he can totally regenerate maybe sever his head you know render him a torso so he doesn't get up and chase people down and it's like nope nope just gonna give him a little little bit of an injection and hope it works like you've already cool. seen him absorb multiple bullet wounds
1: <laughs> I just love how like science-y before that they were pretending to talk and they're like oh we're gonna just need to like essentially put him down with uh, hydrochloric acid, which is like they said it as though that's a thing that doctors were doing regularly at the institute, where they just have a jug of this acid that they inject into people's veins. Um, in which your is lab, a truly you,
0: horrifying way to die. In your lab, you, you always have that beaker near you right yeah of course yeah you know any mouse or anything that's the way you get rid of them exactly you just have it in the lab as part of your kit
2: yeah
0: like any good mad scientist you've you've studied your your craft you understand how this works
2: yeah (laughs) yeah
1: actually now that i think about it wasn't I'm wondering because there were other elements in this movie that I'm forgetting now that reminded me of other good movies. So, how much of this movie do you think was just like this worked? So, we'll take the elements out of context and because like there's no understanding of how they work and then just throw them into this movie. Like, because I feel like Terminator came out in like 84. Okay. So, it wasn't art. So do you think Terminator stole this idea?
0: No, <laughs> no, my answer is no. Um, Terminator stole other ideas. James James Cameron got sued. Like, Terminator stole other people's ideas. He, he had Harlan Ellison sued him hardcore and won. There's like, there's
1: ideas in this, like the unstoppable killer. I like, I'm wondering if James Cameron saw this. He's like, you know what? I could do this better
0: could could um it just becomes the concept of you know the 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 notion of an unstoppable killer is not necessarily a new one and again no you've already had it if you want to know where it's coming from again remember this is a slasher movie that's piggybacking on the notion of you have at least at this time michael myers from the halloween franchise wasn't quite what people think of him now Uh, friday the 13th wasn't quite what we think of it now they were still making them don't get me wrong but like jason as the unstoppable force was only just kind of coming together so they had the concept you know but i mean there have been other b movies in the past you had the incredible melting man they literally have a movie it might have been lon cheney they have the indestructible man and it's from like the late 50s early 60s like it is not a new concept it's just what are we going to do with this concept to make it hip and relevant to this story the problem is this story is not one story this story is so many different stories jammed together they're not even sure what to do with him once he's on screen other than like well he's got to kill these people how do we get him to them I got it he'll put on a silver track suit and just run out into the night <laughs> and then he'll come back and lay down on a gurney when he's not busy murdering which then here, I'm going to interrupt myself because this is just giving another dimension or flavor to this. The concept of Stephen First in this movie as the goofy sidekick deputy. Oh my God, yeah. And his entire B-story arc of fighting that biker gang that comes into town. Like, it totally doesn't need to be in this movie. It is clearly filler. But it really makes it like a bad sitcom and it and a and or a really bad, like, I wouldn't even call it a buddy cop movie. It's just bad. It's like if you had like, I don't know if you were making like another Porky's or something like it's that level of it's not very funny. (laughs) Like, it's It's just funny
1: at all. And I feel like it was Chuck Norris who was like, you know, what would be funny is if me. And my morbidly obese partner, which by the way, that was what they were relying on was like, oh, he's fat. It's like, he's not really that fat. He's like kind of heavy set, but they really tried to drag that home. Um, But no, like I feel like Chuck Norris was like, I think this would be funny and then I can beat them up. Wouldn't that be funny? It's like, "Mm, I don't think so. (laughs) There's not a lot funny about this. And it is tangential to everything. Yeah. But the scene that bothered me more (laughs) was the scene before that, when they were just sitting in the truck, I think driving to the bar or the diner with all the bikers. The dog story. Yeah, the dog story where he basically is just like, oh, I'm so glad you gave me an opportunity to be the deputy. Um, You know, uh, you probably did some digging in my background and like, I I just, I need to come clean. And like, he starts telling the story about how he murders a dog as a, like a teenager or something. Accidentally, accidentally. Well, he made that clear that it was accidentally, but like any person should have the faculties to know that that like he's a sociopath. Like he is more horrifying than the initial sociopath because he has like this childlike wonder about it. And the way he tells Chuck Norris this, he reacts like, oh boy, my goofy sidekick. I think it's okay. You'll be okay. I think we can get past this. It's like, no, he like murdered a dog and like stuffed it in a freezer or something because he didn't know that like something would kill it and then hid the body. And he's like admitting this to a sheriff as they're on the trail of, well, I guess they're not on the trail, but like as there's this invincible murderer who's supposed to be the actual bad guy. I argue that the deputy... (laughs) is closer to like a situation like silence of the lambs waiting to happen <laughs> what you would look for in real life as a yeah. this is a problem like, that dude that wasn't a funny scene that was like
0: this dude has a lot of issues here's the problem though in the context of the film it's played up to be a comedic scene like <laughs> like you're supposed to laugh at that chuck norris is laughing at that story
1: yeah, because he's playing it off like a kid just told him, like, I gotta come clean. Like, I stole a candy bar. <laughs> not, you know, I, <laughs> I killed a dog just so I could see what happened.
0: More disturbing is that story was not actually scripted. Oh my Stephen gosh. first was told to ad-lib a funny story to fill the time between him and Chuck Norris as they traveled in the car together so Stephen First made that up on the fly as here's a funny story I can share about my deputy past like he thought he's doing this like great character work and he's telling something humorous which to me I like Stephen First I have nothing against Stephen First that's a horrifying story like that should never be played as like I mean, this is a horror movie. I don't want to make it sound like it's not. But in the context that the story is being framed, we're supposed to laugh at this.
2: And there's nothing
1: funny about it. It was like a true detective moment where one detective finds out that his partner has tasted the darkness of the serial killer in his personal life and can actually, like, empathize with the mind of a killer. Except it's played off, like, I stole that Snickers. Like Right. Are are you going to fire me? It's like, oh, I think we can get past this.
0: I'm sorry, Sheriff. Oh, that's okay. It's like, no, it's not okay. Yeah. I I mean, I think though, again, the B arc between first and the bikers and the whole barf, I mean, that exists just to have them, like you said, I need a scene where Chuck Norris takes on 30 men and wins. Like, here you go. It's both shoe leather scene that fills a lot of time, and also I guess it's supposed to heighten the fact that you know the, the killer is so tough. Chuck Norris can take on a bar full of people and win, but he can't take down this indestructible guy. How is it going to work? You know. But that being said, Stephen first gets to have his hero moment where he sacrifices himself. He still broke it in half. And he's still left barely alive. He's mortally wounded, but he at least saved Allison from the killer. Even yeah. though then it comes at the cost no of him having his. Remember their names. I, well, again, I don't recall. He's he, to me. He's the deputy. He's Stephen first. He's the deputy. But it was something like was it Jimmy? I don't. Oh, Charlie. Charlie. His name was Charlie. Deputy uh-huh. Charlie again it's it's the concept of like you know he got to save the day he got to be brave because this entire movie he's been like pretending he's going to get mad at somebody but he he's got nothing you know and this time he throws himself at the killer he shoots the killer he grapples with him he loses big time i mean he breaks his spine and snaps him in half and then leaves him bleeding out on the floor like it's not a good end but, no no it was just as horrifying,
1: and if that man wasn't an another sociopath, I would have felt something more. <laughs> <laughs> no, like you, you, that was so a cold. more believable.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was a more believable love story than the one between Chuck Norris and Tony Callan, <laughs> Allison. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Allison. And I mean, the love story between Chuck Norris and Charlie. Because, like, Chuck Norris was devastated when Charlie was gone. He it's was true. taking his time with finding Allison.
0: Well, you know, who else was going to sit in that diner with him and talk to the sheriff while he ordered
2: a, yeah.
0: a cheese like, and onion omelet? Yeah.
1: Maybe Chuck Norris' character was really relying on Charlie to be there in diners to take the fat comments and make Chuck Norris feel better about himself.
0: Indeed. If we're going for weirdness, too, I would also like to point out Chuck Norris on a uh, county employee salary, even though sheriff, you know, elected position and whatnot, his... Like superior modern, you know, modern 70s home with its amazing, like, it's that weird artistic A frame that seems to have the amazing tiered view of, like, clearly a valley. Which, by the way, where in Texas is this? Because, like, this okay. lush forest with a valley. It's like, yeah, you're living sort of on like a mountaintop hill that you get to look out over this incredible vista. and and again in this very modern skylight filled cool house and then he announces we should get away for the weekend and go up to my cabin by the lake and you're like how do you afford all this yeah he's a public servant (laughs) right it's like what what's going on here so
1: Uh, i feel like that's common in movies though like you'll see cops with really nice cars or you'll see cops in nice apartments. Well, yeah, but
0: they're on the take. That's the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Because then it's always the one good cop who lives in the low-rent, raggedy-looking place, and he's like, he's the one honest one. That's why he's not. Yeah. He's driving it, it, the ragtop beat-up car because, you know. That scene reminded
1: me of Roadhouse where, like, oh, I'll <laughs> take any apartment any apartment will do, and he finds a barn. Right. He's in, like, a modern apartment-looking loft at the top of a barn. <laughs> yeah, it's gorgeous. It's like, what? <laughs> Overlooking the bad guys. like state. Yeah. So, like, it, it reminded me a lot of that. Where it's yeah. like, what are you doing?
0: How are you doing this? Oh, fantastic. No, I, I gotcha. It, it, again, for a film, here we'll let's 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 at least put a close because you 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 did point it out earlier. So I'll, I'll we'll wrap it up. We know that the plot itself comes to an end. Director Miller thought that this was a story that was going to at least have a sequel, if not be a trilogy. So what he wanted to do was he wanted to make a series of these where it's Chuck Norris and this guy like battling throughout, right? So the The concept that it ends on a perceived victory by chuck norris knocking brian libby into that well like you said like it's not like it's bottomless he hits the bottom he survives the fall because he's an indestructible man he's a really tall guy it wasn't even that wide of a well Well, right me right so he dropped I mean they don't show you the drop but it does the slow pan down to the bottom of the well so you're already thinking that like it's 40 or 50 feet maybe yeah he drops down the movie ends with Chuck Norris and Tony Kellum walking away together and then it's just a slow camera pan down to the bottom of the well And the last frame, freeze frame scare is Brian Libby bursting from the water, like letting out a yell and a scream. And that's the end of the movie. So it's like, you know, he survived and he's down there and he's going to probably get out some way or another. Right. And again, Director Miller thought this is it. I now have this series of Chuck Norris battling this guy across, you know. The town maybe across the state next one like he'd go on a spree and only chuck norris can stop him because chuck norris knows about him but he's envisioning like a series of frankenstein monsters you know brought into a modern world context but he's unbound and he's just on the loose and nobody else thought that was a good idea because <laughs> chuck yeah. norris is like i don't even like this movie there's <laughs> no way i'm making another one the studio was not thrilled at the product they delivered. They put it out. They promoted it. But they were not like, this is great. We love this. We want more of this. Instead, they were like, yeah, we don't see Chuck Norris doing uh, sci-fi themes, really. Uh, let's get back to, like, you're like an army guy. And you're just fighting, you know, the Russians. Like, so. yeah. you
2: know,
0: like we'll, we'll pick a very easily, like, ethnic group that everyone knows is not you. So it's Chuck Norris. And then everyone else who's not Chuck Norris, that's the enemy we love that that's great let's do that so like to, to Miller this is a huge disappointment this was going to be like his series and to everyone else they were like that was a mistake let's move on but it's kind of a glorious mistake like it's a lot of fun you get done watching this and you go what did I watch that was ridiculous I kind of want to watch it again yeah
1: no it was a lot of fun but I so this guy really thought, like, I'm going to have a Freddy or a Jason and it's going to be like...
0: It's like, going to be the next big murder. I, I, I mean, I can't put words that would say that he thought this was going to be like... Again, hindsight being 2020, we're putting on what we know now to what was happening then. Like... I'm not saying you know Paramount didn't think that you know Friday the 13th was a great franchise but like there's a reason why they were making by the time they hit to four because I want to and this is where it all gets blurry for me because literally in the 80s it was every year it just became each year there was a new Friday the 13th each year there was a new Nightmare on Elm Street so at a certain point it doesn't quite jive. You're like, all right, it started in 81, then 82, then 83, then 80. so I'm I'm saying between 84 and 85, you're dealing with part four, Jason's dead, like or the final chapter. Like they were ready to wrap it up. And then somebody came along and said, This makes too much money, don't wrap it up, just keep cranking them out. Like the market will decide when we're done with this. But what that left you with was a decade of like, here's a bunch of movies, right? So and then at a certain point, the rights got changed and people, new people came on and stories changed. But there was, there was nobody thinking like, this is gonna be a gravy train that's gonna last for the next 10, 20, 30 years. They were literally like, can we crank out one sequel perhaps and make an, a, an extra cash grab? Like if this makes any money, can I make a cheap follow-up sequel that makes a little bit more money? Because if nothing else, I can sell you guy who knows it's popular but maybe doesn't care about the quality on the concept of you giving me more money to see this yeah. you know like it It. i don't think it was a master plan in his mind the master plan is at least i can make one or two more sequels just about this character and if i can get chuck norris on board and chuck norris was he honestly
1: like, just believed in this script
0: yeah and, like and, this
1: and, character.
0: and again it wasn't his script that's the part that it's one of those like he just decided that I really love this story. This is the story I'm meant to tell. He's just the director in this case. Like it's not like he wrote the script himself. If he was a writer director, I at least would understand the passion a little bit more. Because it was like these are my words on the page, and I'm going to film them. He wasn't doing that. This was like he had two writers. They wrote the script and resonated he, with him. Y- yes, <laughs> it just he really found meaning in this bizarre melange of various genres that are all stirred up together in a pot and then dumped upon a viewer who, in the right frame of mind, it's entertaining. In the wrong frame of mind, you're like, what the hell is this? Why, why is this continuing? Yeah, no, this is the perfect, like, I don't
1: know, you're channel surfing and you accidentally see this either really early on a weekday on a movie channel, or really late at night on a weekend. Oh, absolutely! That's what this reminded me of back in like the '90s when I could do that.
0: When you had time to just cruise late, late night, yeah. and, 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 and there, there was it. such a thing as late night terrible movies. USA up all night got me through many a yeah. weekend. Yep, and and it's where I saw a lot of weird stuff that I probably was too young to see or was like confused by like what am i watching yeah, and it was yeah
1: tnt really late at
0: night you saw a lot of Chuck norris yep yep monster vision joe bob briggs all that fun stuff no i'm with you but this is a again it's a category of film that I, i'm gonna say they don't make anymore and i don't mean like they make unsuccessful movies trust me um it's more of the concept of like they took a chance on something that i think nowadays somebody would be like look you can have it be like one genre maybe two like you want to make a sci-fi horror movie okay you want to make a sci-fi horror romantic comedy no there's no way we're doing that like and, and they'd be right <laughs> that's that's the like that is the issue it's they would tell you like this is not a money maker so i Romantic comedy. Was there anything you're missing there that we see on the screen, or that like you feel yeah. you could shoehorn in just another yeah. I mean, psychological it's... thriller? I guess you can go psychological thriller. I mean, clearly okay. you can make the action argument from the bar scenes and the fights. But yeah, no, the first fifteen minutes of the movie were really good. Martial arts. You can call it a martial <laughs> arts film. That's nice. the because you have Chuck Norris involved. You can call it a martial. So it's a slasher movie sci-fi horror slasher martial arts romantic comedy action movie slash thriller slash thriller (laughs) i'm sorry i left i you, you said thriller twice and i left it off twice there you go like i don't think people are ready for that nor do i really think they'll ever be ready for all of those slavers combining at once you know they they went to the genre machine like a little kid going to a soda dispenser and they mixed every flavor of pop that they had. Oh, yeah. And what they got yeah, was this not was, anything this was this, wants to drink. the
1: suicide of
0: movies. It's the suicide of movies. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, Just put no, that, that on the poster.
1: It's a, <laughs> really, suicide of a really apt description. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. The interesting thing is Chuck Norris was Chuck Norris through the whole movie. Oh, yeah. He did not not adapt to any of
0: the genres. And I'll tell you, like, here's the thing. I am not a fan of Chuck Norris. I don't Mm -mm. particularly like him. I own a bunch of his movies because I grew up watching him in stuff. So to me, he reminds me of my childhood. I think of the old canon movies. I think of the stuff I've seen him in. And none of it is stuff that I'm like, I love this. It's more of, it's comforting, because I'm like, I remember watching this. Was, this, was, this was something that was on at a sleepover. This was something that was on on a Saturday. Like you were saying, Saturday night or a late Saturday afternoon film. It's it's worth putting on if you don't want to think. It's not good. You know, and I on never... On a Saturday when you were sitting at home thinking,
1: oh, I'm thinking too much.
0: Right, like, I just want to go on <laughs> autopilot. Um, but... It, it's the, you know, again, comfort food being what it is, comfort films being what they are, it's just something that makes you feel like, oh, this this is good, this no, is I, fun. I but that being said, like, I, I I doubt I can make the claim that I've ever watched start to finish an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger. I'm not saying I've never seen one. I'm saying I've never sat down and been like, I'm going to dedicate the next hour to sitting Ranger. through a Walker, Texas Ranger. If yeah, you cobbled together all of me watching snippets, I've probably watched like one or two episodes over a 30 plus year period. Like that's not saying much. Yeah. I don't I don't care for him. I don't care for his politics. I don't think he's that tough of a guy or that even that interesting of a person. But all that said, he's an influential person. He made a mark on film. He's definitely part of the 80s if you... You can't be like, Chuck Norris, bah. Like, no, he made money, he made a mark, and he he branded himself and marketed himself, and he did it very well. But, I mean, he was at the right place at the right time when they were looking for a, for not to be racially insensitive, they wanted a white American guy that could do martial arts. Especially with the death of Bruce Lee, they were looking for somebody that they knew they could, you know sell the public on and this is reagan's america what do we love well this guy he's american as they come he's tom petty level white and he can do kung fu and martial arts (laughs) great get him in front of a camera and that it just you know right place at the right time happenstance you know it worked out yeah i i find chuck norris memes to be really stupid
2: (laughs) like
0: I, i never I never bought into that stuff and that was all happening like the height of that was happening right when i was in college as an undergrad like i mean, I, I think i fell into the category where
1: you know it was funny but i was like 14. <laughs> so,
0: I, I, I they were clever but they were clever in the sense that like it was like a it was clever the way the old like tear off the day calendars used to be you know like yeah. the the joke of yeah. the day you never laughed No, you were just like. Nice, strong exhale through the nose. Yeah, you go like, and that was it. You'd be like, all right, yeah. People were buying books full of them. Like, it was just like, Mm. who's reading this? You know? Who's paying for memes? Well, I guess the concept was there were no memes at the time. That's the trade off. Mm -hmm. This was the pre meme. It was on paper. It was not a meme. It was on paper. But, you know, like, the dark is afraid of Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris can divide by zero. Like, yawn. Like, you say it now, and you're like, that's dumb. Like, who, who, you paid money yeah, for that? that? Is such a weird, I remember that. that it, is so you know, and, and again, I, I, for anybody who's like, you're just jealous. No, I'm just saying, like, it's, he's not my bag, but I don't hate him. He's just never been, like, yeah. when I think action stars of the 80s, I, I can't deny that he wasn't one, because he was, but to me, that goes to like schwarzenegger and stallone and all the you know the the big names of the 80s doing those sort of action films yeah chuck norris is always like the the c or d list
1: yeah no it's it's you know stallone schwarzenegger and willis are like a and then and you get your van dams oh i forgot about van dam yeah van dams like a b
0: bronson technically i would put bronson above norris not that i bronson and and this is weird here we're really going far you know astray but why not that's this is not the time or the place for an interesting conversation this is just a show right so i i mean bronson was like wish fulfillment for your grandfather right because he's just this old guy walking around with a gun shooting hippies and then at a certain point the hippies went away and good god like Okay, so I know you've seen Death Wish. I know you've seen at least one or two, right?
1: I've seen a part
0: of Death Wish. The first one. Yeah. So the first Death Wish is like a, for good or ill, and I'm using air quotes here, people, the first Death Wish is a real movie. Like it had a message, it was trying to be topical, it was commenting on, it was trying to pull a dirty hairy in the sense of like, do you do about the rights of the victim you know and it's a man getting vengeance and it was based on a novel that had been published and like there's there's reason for it the reason you have all those sequels is because canon bought up charles bronson and then said we're just going to keep cranking out sequels and by the time you get to like sequels three four five which the fifth one should have never been made like it's just it's so old it's so awkward it's so weird By the time you get out that far, Bronson is no longer punishing, like, rapists and murderers. He's, like, going after, like, people of color who moved into the neighborhood. Like, he is literally, it's like old racist white guy fantasy of, sadly, I'm saying this out loud, it fits very nicely into this weird Trumpian era we have where it's just this wish fulfillment of, like, I want it to go back to the way it used to be where there was no one else who looked different than me. And we're going to run them out of this neighborhood. (laughs) It's very, like, it does get really extreme. So if you watch them as I do, where you get drunk and laugh at them, they're a ball. The problem is there are people that watch them and go like, this is what should happen. And that's where it gets scary. (laughs) Like they watch it. Like, like this is a solid plan no like wrong
1: so i I I watched the first death wish ironically and i got vibes like that from the first one
0: yeah but at least the first one when i say it it was a real film it was put out by a studio it was trying to say something at the time it was misguided but hey at least there was some logic behind it which also made me laugh when they remade it with bruce willis a few years ago because they've remade it a few times they remade it with Kevin Bacon in the, uh, gosh, I want to say like 2006, 2007, right around then. They they called it Death Sentence and it was based on the original novel. And it's Kevin Bacon looking really, really rough, like shaves his head. He's all beat up. <laughs> he goes after people. Crazy. So the concept of remaking it with Bruce Willis seemed like, why? <laughs> yeah. and, and I think the public reacted the same way. But yeah, um, yeah you know. A good time, but was going to say
1: Norris falls under the same category in my mind as like
0: Seagal, which is definitely definitely is in the same category as Seagal, where it's just like they're making movies, but but why? Who's seeing them? Who's paying for them? I mean, yeah, I
1: I don't know. Um, actually, for whatever reason, it was probably all the terrible science it made me really want to go back and re-watch Man, which is one of my favorite movies just period which if no one's heard or seen or watched Darkman
0: really Sam great. Raimi yeah uh Sam Raimi not looking it up I want to say 1990 I have no one idea. or 92 maybe like that's uh, it might be earlier it's it might be 90 yeah but uh, Got a few things going for you there. You have a real story. You have Sam Raimi. It's a real story. It's Sam Raimi making fun of comic books with his weird tongue-in-cheek style. Fair enough. It was deliberately weird, but Yeah. And it was made to go like, this is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be spoofy. Yes. But this movie felt a lot like that, but unintentional. Right. Yeah. They're not in on the joke for the good people that made Silent Rage. They're not in on the joke. This is just kind of awkward, and we're having fun at their expense. Darkman was like, are you in on the joke? This is a joke here. And you can enjoy it for what it is, or you can laugh at us because we're making fun of superhero movies too. Also, if you watch
1: Darkman and then watch, I think, the first Spider-Man, there's a lot... (laughs) There's a lot of similar ways. that the, Anyway, this is way
0: off topic. That's okay. Again,
2: <laughs> the chance is,
0: neither, Dark Man is fantastic. this is neither the time nor the place for an interesting story. <laughs> We're only having a conversation. Why would anyone want to hear anything interesting? No, Darkman, but Darkman is a great example of like, again, it's it's not a favorite of mine. I don't hate it, though. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just a, like, would you like to see something that while it is not conventionally a story you would think is going to be told, it's mm-hmm. told well and it's told in an interesting fashion and it holds your attention. And by the way, you have Liam Neeson in it and you have, like, it's it's a solid director, it's a solid actor, and it's making fun of comic book character tropes that you grew up watching. Yeah, But done in an R-rated way so that the violence is over the top. To me, I, I put Darkman in the same kind of logic that I would use, um, like Robocop it's satire it's you know it's it's trying to get you to laugh at some other things that are not necessarily what we're seeing on the surface yeah contrasting that to silent rage speaking of remakes the remake of robocop just an abomination you loved it didn't you (laughs) oh it's so bad so painful uh michael
1: keaton what are you doing here (laughs) this this i think you asked me if i like this movie like 40 minutes ago, Uh, yeah, It's, it's so good. It's good. It's so formulaic in the way they attempt to do things. Like they have an understanding of what the trope that they're trying to do is. So they have like a formula, they just miss the mark in such a perfect way by trying so hard that it is truly great to behold. So
0: is this a film you would recommend to
1: people to see? Absolutely not. (laughs) Most people don't like bad
0: movies. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's funny is there's a running trope here. I always ask you, when we get done with this, I I show you movies, I give you movies, and I don't begrudge you on that, I think it's fun. I give you movies, you watch them and you announce, you go, I really like this. And I go, would you recommend this to people? And you go, oh, hell no.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'm too like, compassionate. Like I don't force people to go through this, Chris. But no, like, it's fun. It is fun, but you have to you have to be willing to waste your time. And I'm coming at this from a perspective of like, you know, if I have this much time and I'm in the mood and I know it's gonna be bad, I can get in the right frame of mind. Because even though I like bad movies, like I don't like, I don't like wasting time. And it's not a waste of time if you know it's gonna be bad, so I would say like if you like watching something that's truly bad like it's not so ridiculous that you know you can laugh along with it or like quote things because they're so out of place there are movies like that that I love that are like hard ticket to Hawaii or uh, that one kung fu island movie that is escaping me raw force yes raw force Uh, I love those and there's so bizarre and out of left field that I think anyone could enjoy that. It could be in the background of a party and people would tune in and out and love anything that they saw. This movie, you kind of have to pay attention to it and it's bad. Um, but it's if, if you enjoy someone trying to be, trying their best and it still comes up short, it's really fun.
0: I, I'd agree with that, that's fair. Like, So I I think that's why I tend to always be like, oh, hell no, (laughs) don't watch this. I'm never going to not ask you that, but I just find it funny. It's like batting three for three. Okay, cool, cool. (laughs) Like Chance, how do you feel about this? Like, oh no, no. It's It's amazing. No one should watch this. Yeah. So do you (laughs) feel this is a movie that could be remade in a fashion? (laughs) Okay, let me, let me, uh, I will frame this in a semi-serious way. Do you think there's enough of a decent idea here that it could be salvaged into something that is quote, good?
1: I think the first 15 minutes could still be a really, really good like movie right now because the first 15 minutes are a tale of like unheeded signs of mental illness gone horribly wrong. I think the first 15 minutes of this movie is Joker. <laughs> done right I would argue. Joker is done right but the first 15 minutes of the movie have like that same essentially feel as someone whose life is falling apart asking for help is unheeded ends in violence and could start a movement and then you could have like a cop chases guy guy is escaping the police evading the police creating a movement you know rent is too high or whatever maybe that's why he killed his landlord might not even be his motive but that's what people assign to it. And then you have this difference between authority and mental illness and they're thrown to the wayside. And, um, not what we got. So if we were to remake this movie, this sci-fi rom-com thriller, yada yada. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you would do that ever. You can't capture the insanity that drove this.
0: There's a certain passion and je ne sais quoi yeah. that we're just not yeah. going to have. The exactly. Apparently, true b- belief in the project that just only the 80s and cocaine could give you. But that you're, and, and again, to point out that your cast did not have. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, oddly enough, a bunch of the people that are involved in this movie are now dead which is kind of set like uh, most of the actors Not are chuck, dead chuck which norris is, is fine. i'm sorry tell me chuck norris is okay chuck norris is okay but like um
1: so if we just lost sean connery we can't also lose chuck norris
0: no we didn't lose Ch- yeah but one was a one was a tragedy <laughs> a celebration of life and the other one i'd go like eh, and i'd shrug yeah but, but you know it's like the straw
1: that breaks the proverbial the camel's back. back. The hunchback animal
0: camels. Camelback. That but one. The hunchback's camel. I like the hunchback having a camel back. It's like, yes. Yes. exactly. Yeah. Um it's late here, Chris. What's it? It's late. It's all right. late is fine. Um no, so what what's odd is with this film. Uh, A bunch of these actors have died and they all died like either fairly young or, I mean, I know commenting on how people are young now seems different, both as being an adult myself and in concept, because the yardstick for young has really moved as we've gone on in a modern medical age. But all three of the scientists have died. Ron Silver died of cancer because he was a lifelong smoker. He died like 2009 and he was like 62. Stephen first died of diabetes, and he was like 63. William Finley, the acid scientist, the tall guy with the glasses, he ended up dying of diverticulitis at like age 70 or 71. And Stephen Keats, the guy who started it all, the guy who's the aggressive one that wants to try the experiment to try the serum, he died at age 49. He committed suicide. So like the bulk of the people that started in this film are dead and they died fairly early or from medical complications so it's just it's a really strange movie to kind of like go back and visit and be like i wonder if you could like look up and talk to these people because like a lot of them aren't there anymore and those who are there are guys like chuck norris who wish they never made this movie so it's kind of hard to do like a retrospective or like even find people that like are commenting on it because all you're left with is the director who thinks it's the best thing he ever did and bemoans the fact he couldn't do more of them and in reality it's really just chuck norris i mean tony kalem is still alive but nobody's asking her what she thought because all she's going to talk about is chuck norris gave her a wet willy and that's about it you know so it's just it's a very strange phenomenon to be left with and again to me the beauty of this movie is it's so strange it's so weird it's just one of those things that needs to be experienced so for people I'll go out of a limb people like you and I who we like a good movie but we also can appreciate a strange bad fun cult movie like the stuff that's you know on the wayside it's it's off the beaten path like There's a bunch of this stuff that's coming back, and it's coming back in a big way, of people rediscovering it. And to me, this is one of those things that's worth rediscovering. I'm not saying everybody should go out and buy it, but this is the kind of movie I would say you can get a pizza and have people over and if they're in the right frame of mind and you set it up properly, it's a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So... I disagree.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it's a lot of fun and I know people who would think it's a lot of fun. But I think the idea, <laughs> I think the idea of anyone could enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> let me put it this way. I watched it with my wife, who I consider to be, well, not just anyone, but also anyone um as she is someone who is not me could not make it through more than 20 minutes of this movie um
0: i'll see your your wife and raise you mine because she did not care for this either i showed it to my wife she did not care for it when we first saw it I, i i will say i'll even add a caveat i i don't I won't speak for all ladies, but this has basically consistently from every woman I've ever known who's seen this movie, they are not impressed by it in it's any way. Shape that
1: or usually way. happens with the wet willy scene.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's usually it's usually like, what is this that I'm watching? And and that has been fair. But to me, this is a I, I will for my assessment, I will say as follows if you get people that claim to like movies and they claim to want to see something, show me something I've never seen before. Show me something weird. This is a lot of it again, knowing the rules that that's what you're going in on. If I told you, I'm showing you you're a Chuck Norris fan. I'm showing you a great action movie. I would be lying then because I'm not showing you that I'm showing you a Chuck Norris film that has some action in it. And it has all those other flavors of ice cream that are also included. So, again, as long as you preface it by saying this movie's really weird, it's going to be multiple genres and multiple things, I think you'll enjoy it from that perspective. If you set the proper table, I think it can be enjoyed by anybody. If you just tell someone we're watching a slasher movie, I'm not technically wrong, but I'm not also telling the truth. Because that's not what this is. It has elements of a slasher movie same thing it's a sci-fi film but it's not just a sci-fi film but i, I take your point it is not for all audiences but in my <laughs> ideal world this is something that you can have a group of people over and they can have a really good laugh at
1: i'm just but the group of people have to be
0: <laughs> into terrible
1: things <laughs> like terrible movies
0: well that goes without saying <laughs>
1: Like, can smell our own <laughs> if you just have a dinner party and you invite over you know any of your acquaintances 70 percent of them will never talk to you again <laughs>
0: i've learned that lesson the hard way you are describing my undergrad years of oh. me showing movies in my dorm room films that I did not see it was the first time I was watching it so I'd be like guys shut up we're all gonna watch this together and what was what would happen is I would be like wasn't that great it was just like and then I'd say like it was like these other three things that you've never seen or you don't care about or you hate and they would go why the hell did we sit here and watch this with you we are never watching movies with you again and they'd leave and then please unlock the door you're the only one with the key let us out Yeah, you know, kind and, of scenario. It, uh, it became that eventually. And then I started working my way back into their good graces because I would be like, let's watch this, and it would be something good.
1: Yeah, I, but, I made the mistake of um, with some close friends, we watched um, Hard <laughs> Ticket to Hawaii, and I forgot just how much gratuitous scenes were in that. And we, you know, luckily it was all close friends, but I was like, oh, I probably should have screened this again before being like, I have this great, terrible movie
0: that we should watch. You and I will get into some hard ticket to Hawaii on, on a different episode, but yes. That, it but okay, but the flip side, let's let us use, as far as this goes, we will get into the film itself, This same analogy. My wife has seen Hard Ticket to Hawaii, and she finds it Insanely entertaining and silly and fun, and she because she knows it's stupid, but she knows it's fun and she knows what it's supposed to be. Yes, and, and it I doesn't change genres every five seconds. It,
1: it ticket to Hawaii was, it was, awkward in places, just because of like you know there's scenes in there where there's just like topless scenes for no reason. In a oh, show. absolutely, uh, and you know it was the 80s but like everyone who watched it was like that was the weirdest shit I have ever seen but they still like enjoyed it and you know had a good time because that is so weird that it's one of those like truly a train wreck like an incomprehensible train wreck this one is comprehensible it has a plot. It attempted. It did really hard. Like it tried really hard to like stay in its con, It had its own rules, and all of that. Um, it just wasn't good. And unless you are like interested in that sort, of, like interested in seeing something fail in all of the <sighs> fail to the most extreme when trying like failing at each like they have a checklist of things they understand what they should be doing they just are incompetent at them unless you find that like interesting and fun it's not it's not worth it i would say
0: they're not noble in the effort uh
1: I'm saying that most people will not think that they're noble in the effort. I think the noble in the effort is what makes it fun. Because it's like, you know, they're trying their hard. Everyone fails. And like being able to laugh at that is great. But like, (laughs) most people would just be like, I just wasted time on a movie that, you know, the last time I saw something of this caliber, I was, you know, Coming down off my medicine from getting my molars extracted and I was watching TV at four o'clock in the morning like <laughs> that sort of thing you know that's not the experience that party goers want
0: that's true and again that I I know you brought it up as an example this is a, this is not a film I would argue is a party film this is not a film I would put an in the background as you stated you can put hard ticket to why you can put raw force you could put war of the gargantuas you can put something that's splashy and weird and you know meant to be just looked at but not really listened to or seen you you, you put that on in the background of a party this anything that needs to be explained through bad science talk and you need to understand why you're seeing salt crystals fill in for DNA. Like, anything that is that caliber, you're going to lose people within that first five-minute window of seeing it, and then they're not going to understand anything that's going on, and it's just going to be an unpleasant experience. So I'll, I will absolutely grant you that. That
1: Yeah. I do like that we honestly disagreed, though. <laughs> I feel like you will stand by this movie. <laughs>
0: But but let me just to give a context, though, I'm not going to die on a hill for this movie. It's not good. It's not a good movie. It's a fun movie. And that's to to me. I try to make that difference. I I really try to paint that that line because I think it can be enjoyable if you tell people what they're walking into. Mm -hmm. If you don't tell them, then it's a sucker punch. They don't trust you and they shouldn't because you've lied to them. As long as you're up front with them, you're like this movie's a hot mess. But as long as you approach it as knowing it's a hot mess, you can really enjoy it for what it is. Like, yeah, maybe,
1: maybe my my point is it's not a hot enough of a mess to tell people it's a hot mess. They'll just think that it's like a mediocre mess that neither falls here nor there.
0: I, but you're you're not entirely wrong there too because part of the I think part of this film's problem, and one of the reasons it's so neither fish nor fowl, is because there's some things like you you keep saying you love the first 15 minutes. That's the problem. If the first 15 minutes was bad, this could be farcical and you could laugh at it much more. Exactly. The problem is the first 15 minutes are really, really good. Yeah, they're and then it falls apart. They're weird, but they're compelling. Right. So you're right in the sense that like it really yo-yos as it goes back and forth on you're not sure like you'll be watching it and you're like this is solid and then there'll be 15 minutes of film where you're like this is ridiculous then there'll be 15 minutes where you're like should i be laughing at this and then again like you go through phases with it and it comes around a few times because there are scenes in the middle of the film that you're like this was solid why didn't they do more of this? And then it'll go away again to have like a sitcom like scene or a bad romantic interlude or bad science techno jargon. And then it goes back to being, you know, one of the other genres it's trying to be. If you were to cut this movie up and splice the quote good parts in, it would be like maybe 20 minutes to a half hour. Like if you kept just the fights between. Brian Libby and Chuck Norris at the end, where it's just like one on one. This was a short film. Right. You you cut down all of Stephen first's dialogue, and it's only him at the end defending Allison. You know, the scientists, like, we never get into the scientists creating him. We just get into them, like, dealing with the fact that a man has gotten up and is attacking them. Like, we don't even get into the why. It could be supernatural for all we care about this could probably be a really tight, freaky movie that you're like, okay, yeah. 30 yeah. to 40 minutes, it's over. So you've remade and you made... really took one aspect of those things like, right. And
1: like that's the, the difference. There was two really, at least two, that would be really compelling. The one that is essentially, <laughs> I put forward the Joker. Um, and the other one being like a modern day retelling of Frankenstein with like just super selfish physicians, like it would be like a psychological thriller, but super selfish surgeons like testing drugs on people. Um not even like reanimating the dead or anything, just like an actual like thriller of like this doctor is like drugging patients inappropriately.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: And like, you follow one of the people who falls into those traps or something. And like those two things are like within the movie, this movie has just a plot device. Each one of them is an entire movie that should be like expounded upon. So yeah, it's the ambitiousness. I'll give them that they were ambitious um, and just fell nowhere from it like they just landed they landed in a well like they just kind of fell down that well and nothing came of it
0: and that's where it ended mm-hmm.
1: there's some poetry
0: for you Chris I do like it when it's all wrapped up in a nice neat little package chance <laughs> so, as you know we're, we're enemies now right <laughs> so, so this is how we end. Yes we, are. yes, we fall into two
1: different camps. I don't think we, I can do this anymore. No, no. So
0: this is this is Dr. Chance's last time featured here on a second chance segment. On, until we bring him back, of course, to argue the merits of Hard Ticket to Hawaii or Raw Force or any one of the other myriad of films we just mentioned that are all considered by him to be better than this one.
1: Are <laughs> all not this movie? <laughs>
0: But, no, this was good. I still really like this movie. I, 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 I get it. I get it. I'm giving you a hard time. No, this is good. But, again, nothing to think else. I don't know what a good movie is. <laughs> you just can't tell anymore. You're in, no. Either from knowing me or just from all the other crap. You've seen your antenna is so bent now that <laughs> uh, my work is done. I can just... Well, re- retiring would be like, and then I don't watch any more movies. Nope, no, I would just keep going.
1: No, that's so, not going to work for you.
0: No, it's not going to work at all. So, no, this is, this is excellent. Well, uh, we should probably end here, so I'll, I'll sign off with this. Chance, thank you so much for doing this. This was a good, a good time. I'm glad you got to tell people about uh, Silent Rage and your deep, deep abiding love for all things Silent Rage. Yes. or or just um, the first 15 minutes
1: yeah in case in case i wasn't clear everyone should see this movie it
0: is fantastic yeah well i i think that i think that's definitely come across so <laughs> excellent sir well thank you so much chance we appreciate it yep anytime <laughs> There you have it. Our breakdown conversation on silent rage. And you know what that means? It's going to officially wrap up things for this episode of I Saw It on Linden Street. Thank you so much for joining us. We do hope you'll tune in again. I'd like to again extend a extra special thank you to Dr. Chance. We absolutely do appreciate his insight as well as his foolish nature to watch things that I happen to suggest. If you like us, please give us a favorable review on Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, or hey, just do that wherever you're listening to us on. Swing by and check out our website, lscep.com, where we have articles, episode links, and comics for you to peruse. We're also featured on Podchaser. That's a podcast database for listeners and creators alike. Find us there. Give us a follow and a review if you could, please. And hey, feel free to like any of the lists that we're a part of to give us a boost in those rankings more reviews and increased likes that affects those marvelous algorithms and it makes us ever more searchable and then we can share these kinds of films with more people and you want to do that don't you of course you do and as always if you'd like us to get in touch make a comment ask a question to us send us wonderful things please email us here at Linden Street Cinema Experience at gmail.com On that note, I'm going to say it again, we're still taking questions, comments, concerns, complaints for the year-end mailbag episode. You want me to feature a favorite cult film of yours? Write us and tell us about it. You think I made the wrong call on something? Write us and tell us about it. You really, really, really want me to be, you know, doing a little bit more than just talking slowly into the mic? Well, you get the picture. Write us and tell us about it. If you'd like to even be more personal, or you think you want to contribute a segment in the sidecar, no problem. Please send us an audio message by way of Anchor. That's a free and easy app to use. So, until next time, take care out there. Wash your hands, wear a mask, please stay healthy. And remember, life's too short not to live in the past. Take it easy out there, everybody.